we had actual cases where the courts were terminating public contracts for the reason that the companies lied about their beneficial owners and the politicians were disclosed as beneficial owners of some of these companies so they realized now is something uh, terrible happening to them and they started to look for solutions how to cancel this law and they were not successful because the public the society backed us and uh, and the politicians saw that they would be too weak to push against the whole society Welcome to the Voices of Open Government, a show from the Open Government Partnership, where we explore how to make our democracies more transparent, participatory, inclusive, and accountable. In this season, we are exploring some of the big issues facing democracy by talking to the reformers, activists, journalists, and citizens who are on the ground right now in the middle of the fight. I'm your host, Stephanie Bluma. this episode, we'll be talking about a concept that might be unfamiliar to some, but it is actually critical to fighting corruption. It's called beneficial ownership transparency, essentially the anonymous ownership of companies. In 2016, the Slovak Republic became one of the first nations to institute the establishment of a beneficial ownership registry. Today's guest is Andrzej Lientiev managing partner of Taylor Wessing in Slovakia. Andrzej tells us why and how he pushed to establish the registry in Slovakia. We talk about how civil society fought to uphold it and how other countries are using it as a model. The reason I became a lawyer, I went uh, studying law, was basically a very uh, simple one. Uh, I I watched uh, some... Uh, U.S. Uh, shows about lawyers and uh, and I liked the idea. I didn't realize that uh, the way how a European lawyer is acting is uh, completely different from the U.S. lawyers I saw on TV. But yes, the maybe the initial motivation was that I wanted to be like um, those guys I saw in TV. I am a lawyer now for uh, over 20 years uh, practicing law. I uh, am a commercial lawyer, so I am the managing partner of the, I would say, biggest international firm in Slovakia. I uh, was feeling that I would like to do something which has more uh, like um, CSR uh, dimension. CSR stands for Corporate Social Responsibility, a model in which organizations integrate social and environmental concerns into their business operations. So we started to help um, different NGOs. We started to um, develop uh, different anti-corruption policies. And we started to help those who wanted to change something uh, within the Slovak society. And you mentioned CSR, Corporate Social Responsibility. When you thought about that, what was the problem you were trying to help NGOs deal with? Basically, um, Slovakia is a very, very small market and we 
chose not to work for the government, but rather to work for NGOs. So uh, this was a crucial decision we had to make here in, in our firm. It has to do with uh, the way how post-socialist countries are run, that um, if you would like to uh, work for the government, basically uh, you have to sometimes lower your ethical and moral standards. And we didn't want to do this in, in our firm. So basically we decided we will work for the other side, for those who are trying to reform the society based on a open um, society uh, principles. So yes, we were approached by different NGOs and investigative journalists, uh, with investigative journalists because they needed someone uh, who gave uh, them uh, legal insights. So uh, we started to work with investigative journalists. And so, yes, via helping investigative journalists, uh, we met a couple of NGOs, uh, especially dealing with uh, corruption or rule of law or, uh, or matters uh, related to, to legal issues. Can you give us an example? What was one of the first cases or early cases that you looked at involving corruption that the journalists were bringing to you? The majority of the early cases we were helping investigative journalists were related to conflict of interests. So these were cases where there were suspicions that uh, politicians or uh, state servants are either concluding contracts or uh, doing decisions which favor some uh, oligarchs or business people. And we were helping the investigative journalists to uncover these connections, these ties. And this brought us basically quite early to the topic of beneficial ownership. Andre aimed to combat corruption by shedding light on beneficial owners or anonymous owners who benefit from a business. If you have uh, offshore companies controlling some local entrepreneurs, then you are not sure who is profiting from these offshore companies. It could be that a share from the profit on the top of the holding goes to the politician who decides on public contracts. So we were helping journalists to uncover these ties, these complex structures, and to investigate whether there is someone from public sector involved in the proceeds of the business of the private sector. Working with journalists and civil society organizations, Andre focused on cases involving high-level government officials. The NGOs... Uh, we're investigating a couple of uh, cases which happened here in Slovakia. Uh, one case, for example, was a case where the Ministry of Environment sold CO2, so emission certificates, uh, via a Swiss uh, offshore company. Basically, the Swiss offshore company bought it from the state much cheaper than our neighboring countries uh, were selling it to the industry. And the Swiss company then sold it, I think, to Japan. And there were heavy suspicions that uh, uh, there is someone from the Ministry of Environment involved in this Swiss company uh, where the profit, the margin between for what they bought it from Slovakia and for what they sold it to Japan uh, remained. So this was one case. The second case was that... Um, there was a hospital which bought a very expensive equipment. 
the equipment was bought for much more than um, uh, the equipment is uh, sold, for example, in Austria or in, in Czech Republic. And uh, it was uh, discovered that the company which provided this equipment to the hospital was originally owned by the head of the Slovak parliament who claimed that he is not controlling the company anymore. But if you looked at the ownership structure, you found some anonymous ownership structure. So companies in Cyprus where you couldn't tell who is really the owner. So there was, uh, again, a big probability that the head of the Slovak parliament still was controlling the uh, health equipment company, which was selling these overpriced products to the public hospitals. The only thing was you could not prove that these politicians are actually taking a share from the profit which this company was doing. And why we couldn't prove it? Because there was no instrument to force these companies to publish or to disclose the beneficial owner. Andre and others began pushing for legislation to create a beneficial ownership registry in the Slovak Republic. The NGOs, when they saw how many suspicious uh, corruption cases were reviewed by investigative journalists, they asked us as lawyers to come up with the idea, how can we solve this problem? So how can we solve the problem that companies doing business with state are owned by anonymous corporate structures? And we came up with the idea that these companies, before they will get a public contract, they must disclose and verify their beneficial owners. Yeah, and the different layers you mentioned, they're often overseas. So you mentioned Cyprus and Japan. So there's like a trail, an investigation that you have to follow back to actually figure out who the beneficial owner is in the end. Absolutely. Uh, the target company is normally a Slovak company. So the company, for example, providing this health equipment was a Slovak subsidiary, but the shareholder was a Cyprus company and Cyprus was enabling the owner of the Cyprus company to be anonymous. So the person would not appear in any official document and you could not find in any register who owns the Cyprus company. And this is the reason why you find in these holding structures companies from offshore jurisdictions, because offshore jurisdictions do not provide only a very tax-generous regime, but also provide for anonymity of the owners. And especially in Central and Eastern Europe, the use of these offshore structures is not because the companies would like to pay less taxes, because we are a low-tax country. The taxes are low in Slovakia. But they are used to hide the true identity of the owner. And if you can hide the true identity of the owner, you can be a owner as a politically exposed person, for example. So why in the case of Slovakia, and you mentioned other states in Eastern Europe, why is this work so important 
Former uh, socialist countries uh, have this problem with um, conflict of interests where public money is spent uh, inefficiently because it's not spent to the company which is offering the best price, but it's often used to pay to the company which gives the biggest kickback to the person who decides on public contracts. So a politician or, or state servant or mayor of a city. And if this is the motivation for awarding a public contract, then we realize that we must invent a kind of transparency. So bring light into this relationship between private companies and public sector. Because only if you have transparency in the ownership structure, you can uh, either investigate or you can show to the people that this is really an honest contract where there are no second thoughts or no, no interests uh, other than efficient money spending. So I assume part of this work is about increasing citizens' trust in government so that they actually have faith that their government's making decisions in their best interest. Yes, you uh, summarized it perfectly. However, Andre believes that solving this issue isn't just the responsibility of government and civil society organizations. The private sector has a major role to play. I think it's very, very important, even in this topic of beneficial ownership transparency, the private sector is uh, those who are targeted the most uh, by this legislation. So having them to understand the benefits is crucial. I think what we are trying to explain to private sector is that if you have a corruption or if you have conflict of interest, going on among your competitors, they will have a comparative advantage which will be used in fighting you as the competitor on, on, on the market. If a construction company is receiving public contracts by paying bribes, these public contracts are highly profitable for this construction company and this construction company can destroy its competitors by dumping the prices in private tenders because they do the profit margin from the public contracts. So I think even the private sector should be interested in fighting corruption and conflict of interest because it will level the playing field among them. And if you can sell this idea to the private sector that fighting corruption helps them to do their business, then you will have a strong support. If the private sector will see all these anti-corruption reforms only as an administrative burden, then uh, they will try to circumvene everything and they will try to change the law. So I think this is crucial. We have to have private sector on board. We have to have uh, them... Uh, motivated and we have to have them understand the aim because I am confident that the aim we are uh, following with anti-corruption measures is an aim which helps the private sector at the end leveling the playing field in their business. In the Slovak Republic, political support 
was what ultimately passed the law which created the Beneficial Ownership Registry. When the parliamental elections uh, came and some of the parties which were successful in the elections were looking for some anti-corruption measures. And there was this measure which we developed to a certain uh, point and they immediately grabbed our, let's say, ideas and we helped them to turn them into law. And this went very fast, within 100 days from the establishment of the new government, the law on beneficial ownership register for companies doing business with state was in parliament and it passed parliament within like 150 days from the formation of the government. But this success came with its challenges. As we did it so fast, the politicians did not realize the law started to be in danger after I would say two years of effectiveness, because after two years of effectiveness, we had actual cases where the courts were terminating public contracts for the reason that the companies lied about their beneficial owners and the politicians were disclosed as beneficial owners of some of these companies. So they realized now is something uh, terrible happening to them. And they started to look for solutions how to cancel this law. And this was a, a period of time where we saw different MPs coming with changes of our law with which they tried to weaken the law. And uh, the positive message is that once you do a transparent tool, the public will protect it from destruction. So when the MPs came with the idea that they should abolish our law, there was such a strong public opposition that no politician found the strength to really destroy the law. And I think this was the most dangerous moment in the life of this very uh, unique uh, tool that at a certain moment uh, in time, the politicians who realized how dangerous it is for them tried to abolish the law and they were not successful because the public, the society backed us and the politicians saw that they would be too weak to push against the whole society. The success of the Slovak registry worked as a model for other countries doing similar work. Our beneficial ownership register was introduced as the second in the world. The first beneficial ownership register was introduced by UK 2015. Our register was introduced 2016 and uh, a major EU legislation on beneficial ownership registers followed after Panama paper uh, leaks. So we were ahead uh, of the, I would say, general movement. And the reason why we can serve as a model is that our law is based on very ambitious principles. And these are three principles. One is that we are advocating for full publicity of the register. So all data on beneficial owners are freely accessible on internet. You do not have to register, you do not have to pay a fee, it's for free. Second principle is that we introduced 
a very unique way of verification of the data. And this was the main drawback of the UK register. And they didn't solve it until these days that if you have a register where the companies can cheat with the data they are registering on beneficial owners, then the register has basically a very low uh, value for the public. So we introduced the verification by professionals, which are like uh, gatekeepers, lawyers, banks, attorneys, uh, lawyers, banks, uh, auditors, uh, accountants. And they can only register the beneficial owners into the registry. So the company cannot do it by itself. They have to go to a professional service provider. But the professional service provider, he has or she has the competence, the knowledge to define and identify the beneficial owner. And the third principle is uh, a reverse burden of proof. The reverse burden of proof means that once you register a beneficial owner in the registry and someone contests this registration, not the court has to prove that you registered someone wrongly, but you have to prove as a company that you registered the correct person as beneficial owner. Internationally, the cooperation among states does not work so well as we all think, especially if there should be a cooperation between a standard country and the offshore jurisdiction. The offshore jurisdiction normally doesn't cooperate with a standard country because it's their selling argument to protect the secrecy of the shareholders. So for us, if a Slovak judge would ask, for example, a judge in uh, British Virgin Island 10 years ago, now it changed a bit, but 10 years ago to help this Slovak judge to reveal the ownership structure of a British Virgin Island company, he would not even receive an answer. So we, it was necessary for us to force the company to gather the information in British Virgin Islands and to bring it to the Slovak court. So the company has to present evidence that what they registered is accurate. Today, many registers, including the UK's, have incorporated these principles. According to Andre, the beneficial ownership transparency movement is also influencing what's happening in Ukraine. Western European countries were for very long time not interested in knowing the origin of the money which was flowing into their countries. It's the problem of London, but I think it's also the problem of, of US. They were too many industries dependent on uh, inflow of money from other countries where no one was really interested to know the source of the money and the provenience of the money. I think the oligarchs who partially are to blame for the society, how it ended up in Russia, because they're siphoned out monies from schools, from hospitals, from infrastructure projects, and all this money is now stored in Western Europe, they are co-liable for the, I would say, underlining level of the war and of the Russian aggression. And I think uh, what we see now is that the topic of sanctioning oligarchs 
is basically the topic of beneficial ownership transparency just from the other side. Because when I am telling you that I am interested to know who is the natural person owning a construction company which works for the Slovak state, it's the same question with Russian sanctions, only the other way around. I am sanctioning an individual person, but I need to know via which companies he owns the assets I would like to freeze. So it's always about beneficial ownership transparency, but either you go from a company and you look for the individual, or you start from the individual and you look for the company because normally the company holds the assets you would like to know or you would like to do something with them, freeze or whatever. So there is a clear connection between beneficial ownership transparency and Russian sanctions. I wonder what you would say to a young person who is thinking about becoming involved in renewing democracy or open government or doing those things. What would you tell them? Why would you tell them that they should do it? Everyone should find a niche where he or she can bring the biggest added value. And for us as lawyers, we found the niche with drafting legislation and drafting anti-corruption legislation. I will not build an orphanage in Africa because my added value doing this is lower than drafting good anti-corruption legislation. So I would say gain some specific knowledge and then think about using this specific knowledge to uh, reform the society. And I respect, really respect all types of uh, uh, civic activism because I think we complement each other. And I am doing a topic which for many people is very boring, <laughs> uh, but sometimes uh, you need to have a scalable tool and legislation is very scalable tool because you are not helping with individual cases, but you are setting a framework which will help thousands uh, of people. If we're determined to prevent corruption, beneficial ownership transparency has to be taken seriously. And reformers like Andre have to be able to share their experiences and knowledge so that it can become a global norm. That's it for today's episode. Please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review our show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. For the latest updates on open government, you can follow OGP on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Before we go, we'd like to thank OGP and our producers at Human Group Media for making this podcast possible. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you join us again for our next episode.